Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are once again welcoming Jason Matias. Um, In our previous episode, Jason focused on his ideas for helping artists sell their work and a bit about his own background and how he found success in the art world as a photographer. Today, we are going to learn more about his photographic work that has earned Jason a worldwide reputation, the ideas behind his images, and what moves and motivates him. Thanks again for joining us, Jason. Thank you for having me on two episodes. I'm honored. <laughs> Welcome. We, well, you know, last time we did talk so much about the business part, and obviously your business works because of your work, <laughs> because your photographs are are they're pretty amazing and a lot of them are quite large scale which is which is really interesting so um i think it would be good to start with um well what ross said what what moves you what motivates you what are kind of the underlying ideas uh that play out in the different series that you do uh, with your work okay uh so so i've been doing photography I guess since 2006, right? That's that's the question people ask is, when did you pick up a camera, right? Um, and, and a professional or full-time artist since uh, 2012. Now, I started out with landscape photography and there's just a few reasons for that. Um, the biggest reason is not the one I usually start with, but is because I was afraid of people. I was just afraid of working with people and especially working with women. Um, which was one of the goals or one of the targets for my art that didn't really develop until recently. Um, so I stayed in landscape photography and and and, and, I, and I shoot these scenes, they're, they're landscape scenes, but early, early on, I someone actually helped me figure this out, helped me get this started. It was this, someone said, hey, I'm looking at your landscape photos and I always notice a boat in any of the waters that have the ocean, just, but just one boat. And I said, huh, let me go back and look at that. And then I think one of the earliest photos that are, that are actually like published is a piece called Ahu Sunset, which in Ahu is a rock pillar in, in Hawaii um, or a, a stone dais type thing. But in the corner is this boat and it adds this compositional element of, of looking at the, the pillar and then looking at the boat and doing this sort of like circle with the eyes and whatnot. And I said, huh, that's, that's a thing. And then I kept looking more. And I started to realize that there was an aesthetic to my work um, that had a solemnity or a sense of solitude in, in it that... Um, that is there's one very present in, in my personality, especially as I was at this time when I was working through some of the uh, some of the baggage or, or some of the trauma that I was that I needed to get out um, just to be a the type of person who who you've met now. Um, and I started to focus on that. I started to take that I started to ask why am I doing this and started doing it more until I could figure it out. And, and what that evolved into is this idea of comfortable isolation in my work. And it's really interesting. Like I, I had just published a collection called the Fantasy Collection, 
um, for NFTs, which we briefly talked about. And in it, in that collection is a portrait that I did called Duality and there's a behind the scenes video. And that behind the scenes video way back in 2011 or 2012 touches on some of the topics that are solidly part of what my art is today. So it took all of this time from 2006 to 2000 to now, but until really like 2012, um, 2014 to really start um, creating a voice in my work and to develop this idea that I call comfortable isolation. And, and what it is, is I, I try to shoot or create art. It doesn't have to be with a camera, but I try to create work that has uh, a feeling of isolation, but a feeling that's okay. And, yeah. and a feeling that says I could be there and be happy which is very different than the world we live in today where being alone is kind of scary. Like being alone is an instant reach for a phone because we're so used to being connected. And I'm trying to create spaces where people can be disconnected but comfortable. Um, so, so a lot of my work fits in, this, fits in this aesthetic that I call comfortable isolation. So compositionally, it's, it's one of two things. It is a piece of art that is as a singular focus in a large soft landscape. So artwork like Edge of Solace or Adrift or Room for One in Their Dreams, Solitude, those all have a singular focus that's sharp and in, in focus, like the subject is there and prominent, but they're in a large scene that is has a lot of negative space. Um, or it looks like a scene that is completely filled with data from edge to edge. Uh, I shouldn't say data, I should say detail from edge to edge. So there's so much cacophony that you're alone, like being in a big city. Yeah, uh, you're you're there. You're you're there with the subject, and you alone with the subject when it fills the whole image. It's like yeah. you're in it. You're not just looking at it. You're in it. <laughs> it. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. You uh, know, I think I think the way you described how that happened, where you were sort of you started observing the boat, you know, and you the boat was there intuitively. Um, and someone pointed it out and then you become aware of it and and then it starts then you're conscious of it and then it starts to unfold as okay this is important how else am i using this type of image this visual idea how could i use this visual idea in other ways um that's such a uh it's a key part of finding your voice i think mm -hmm. observing what you have done uh just because you did because it was intuitive and then you can build on it. It sounds kind of like what has happened. Yeah, I feel like that was a big part in of me sort of conquering my demons too. Because it, it, I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? Like, why am I called to this particular type of image or this particular aesthetic? And then dig deeper into finding your why, right? Yeah. Finding the why of why you create. And it's, it's not that I love being out in nature, or that being out in the fog makes me feel tingly and, and happy, but it's it's because uh, this outside world is mirroring my inside world somehow. Mm -hmm. And and then and where did that come from? Why did it? Why am I like that? And and this is like a it, there's a there's a blog post and and on my on my website called um, Why I Create Art, and it's a it's a dig into why did I come to 
identify with these empty open places. And, um, and as I figured that out, I started creating more of it so that the work that I create really kind of speaks to me. Uh, and, and I, what I found is that in a lot of these mental health journeys and a lot of these, um, sort of inner dissections of ourselves, that there's a lot of other people who feel this way too, or who have had some experience that either similar or dissimilar, but has led them to the same, uh, the, the same way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that has been um, a real bonus to to being, to be able to to creating and then touching people and realizing you're not alone. Even though I felt alone my whole life and I felt angry and behind walls, um, create the stuff and then it's oh wait I'm not. Oh, oh wait this these things haven't been terrible. Yeah, that's really powerful. I mean, and and you know to take that step to have the courage to really look at where this stuff comes from that introspection, that self-examination, um, and then having that feed your work, and then the work speaks to other people. That is, uh, you know, it's really one of the most powerful things we can do as artists. Uh, it, it's it's difficult, you know, to get there. We, we had an episode a while back where Ross kept probing me, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? <laughs> We, we we were going down one more level each time, you know, a little bit closer yeah. to the to the guts of it, you know, uh -huh. and it's it's an it's an interesting um, and and challenging thing to probe into, especially if you're coming from some trauma, some difficulties, um, to be able to face those and bring them into your work is uh, is really um, yeah, it's it's a must be very difficult and rewarding too to feel that you can have some healing that way. Yeah. I, I think if we had this conversation five years ago, um, yeah, you wouldn't have seen me smile once. Right. Really? Um, yeah. Allie's sitting here bobbing her head. Yeah. Like I, I, I can still do it. I can make it through a week without smiling once. It, it's, it's just uh, this internal level of, of melancholy that's mm -hmm. that I'm that I get stuck in or that I've been stuck in is um it's strong but but the thing is is that now I know where it came from and and I can kind of give reasons to some of the actions that I've done over you know when I was younger and, and still growing and that all happened because of art so yeah I had to keep going backwards and figure out where this um uh, why just why I am the way I am and why it comes out the way it does. And then to make images that are so transcendent and so, you know, you bring so much emotion to them. Um, and this, this idea of the, um, this uh, solitary, the beauty in, in solitary uh, encounters with whatever it is, with nature, with objects, with yourself, really, I suppose, um, as kind of a driving force, and then having it play out in different uh, in different ways. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the series that you've worked in that explore this idea in different ways, different imagery. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, so I have a so I try to to develop the artwork around this idea, but for each individual photograph that makes it into my portfolio, 
um, they come out very different. But there, there has been a few collections, right? So I have the Lonely Boat collection, which is a, <laughs> I, I thought it was a fun name for it, but it, it is solitary boats in expansive landscapes. And it, that was the first collection I started creating, starting with those pieces that I had made in Hawaii um, accidentally, right? Or, or not accidentally, but subconsciously driven. And then I started doing it more intentionally. So th this collection has these solitary boats from, um, from, the, from America, from Italy, from Southeast Asia, from Philippines. And, uh, and it, it was really sort of the, the, the shining example of my work, of this idea of comfortable isolation. And for, from there, there's, there's other lessons. I'm still just looking for that idea. So um, instead of like, I guess I'm having a hard time answering this question. So, so there are sort of there are sub collections that that you can box up nice and prettily in, into into this similar work, but you could jump from a piece like Tree of Fire, which somehow gives you that same feeling, and then go to a piece like Adrift, um, and still gives you the same feeling. Where Tree of Fire is orange, full of information, full of detail from left to right, from top to bottom. Um, explosion of color, which I have both of these that we'll share them in, in the end of, of, of this, but explosion of color, this Japanese maple over the water uh, without a single calm spot in the image. Then you go to a drift, which is a panoramic image of iridescent blue water covered in fog with no horizon and then one singular floating dock with no attachment to anything else off-center in, in the artwork. Um, still trying to create the same the same image, same, same aesthetic uh, of feeling either overwhelmed and alone or alone and alone. Um, so so that's so that's one way my work translates, right? So it translates to the landscapes. And then like I said earlier, like I for a long time I was afraid to do portraits. I was just afraid to work with people. Um, scared to ask someone if I could take their picture, scared to take their picture and have it not turn out well. So it took a long time before I started creating these portraits. And I think that was really good for me and for the work because it allowed me to mature in a lot of ways and allowed me to go out and discover other art that would help me create the work that I wanted to create. So find better sources of inspiration um, than just sort of the, the narrow silo of um, photographers and, and the photography they create. And, and I ended up creating this idea or this, this art collection called Aria. And the Aria collection is a collection of these story-driven nude portraits. And I say nude, but the, there's almost no, there's nothing revealing in them at all. They're just, that's the word that we use to describe them, but they're, they're story-driven portraits. And this is some of the most thought out pieces that, I, that I've created um, over the last four years, since 2018. And each piece, um, well, the whole idea is centered around two things. There's, there's a duality, and then there is a, um, an introspective story. And then there's the visual piece. And each piece is named after a piece of music that is, pulls on my heartstrings and also tells the story of the artwork itself. So um, 
what one of the pieces that's that's really important uh, to me and to Ali is a piece called uh, "Fell on Black Days," which is which is how I met her. But the 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 song is about holding something precious and then destroying it, even though you're trying to take the most care with it. Which, when you take that idea and, and apply it to to me and what you know about me already, I mean that that keeps happening. Try really hard, break it. So the way that developed in the artwork is. Uh, there, there's the model with the the pose of what should be strong, like a triangle, but that's broken a little bit. And then there's this exploding golden globe at the top of her that's just shattering, like like sand that just exploded. Right, but I painted it. Um, so the, the piece is named after the music, but then the elements of the piece also talk about the dualities of holding something precious and breaking it, or being um, in this case, uh, that model has uh, some, what is that called when you have a split personality disorder? Um, so there's that duality and then the background is split, white and black. And then in the picture, there's broken pieces that I call, that are abstractions. And they're placed on a Fibonacci curve because the Fibonacci curve extends from your mind, which is where the repeating patterns of our thoughts come from. And it's a repeating pattern that expands. So the the elements are on that, and um, and that's how I put together every piece of the aria. And I would not have been able to do that if I had started in 2012. Hmm. So the first piece I created is called aria, and then the then the following nine are each named after a piece of music, and have and have all of those thoughts and elements put into them. It seems like a a big conceptual leap from going out into nature, um, finding yeah, or creating images that speak to your your um, ideas and constructing these complex uh, compositions with the figure. You, with you would meaning. think that it is a, a leap, but it's, it's not because it's the it's same not. idea, right? It's just a different application of the same idea. So if you go to one of my favorite examples is a piece called Room for One in Their Dreams. And it's a black and white photograph that's like going out into nature, like you say, but that's not what I'm doing. When I don't go out into nature and take pictures, like I've been on a road trip from Miami to Seattle and I've taken less than, actually I've only taken one landscape photograph, hmm. just the one of that tree in, in the Atrafalaya forest. That's the only landscape photograph I've taken. Um, and because I'm only looking for the one thing that exemplifies the idea in my head. I see. So yeah. like room for one in their dreams is an idea or a picture that, or a landscape that's um, fit into my idea instead of being a photograph that I took because it was a good photograph. Yeah, the, there's a story, um, I can't remember if it's in your TED talk or one of the other video things about um, this uh, rock on the Pacific coast with a tree on it and one tree on this huge rock and that you waited eight hours uh, to take that photo till the light was just right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a, I mean, you, you didn't just walk by and say, that looks cool and take a picture. That was, sounds yeah. like a very, I very conceptual. I didn't take that picture because I thought it would be a good scene. Right. Because I, I so the, the, the reason that that picture was on my list, which my list is very short, 
of things I want to photograph, right? Um, is because those elements lining up, the first rays of sunlight touching it, is it's all about isolation. Like that isolated the tree, and there was only one way to do it in this very, very narrow, there's a, a very narrow opportunity to create this type of image. So, I mean, some, sometimes I walk by and, and there's something pretty and I take a picture of it, right? Um, sometimes I'm walking by and I, there's something pretty that fits into the idea that I've been waiting to take for a long time. And more often than not, I do a bunch of research before I get there. Yeah. Like we just took, a, I just took a photo that I was actually kind of excited about, which doesn't happen that often, from the Atchafalaya Forest, which is swamp forest in Louisiana. Um, I've been, it's, that's number two on my list of places to go photograph. And the list is only two places long. But um, we went there and I, I fully expected not to take a picture because it was a road trip. It was just a way to go see the trees for a little bit. But when we got there, there was a tree that was separated from the rest of the, of the trees in the forest. And I experimented a little on how to compose it so that it was still an isolated piece. Um, and, and that's that. So, so I guess the point I'm trying to get to is that having a camera and using the camera lends itself to the idea that we just that that's you can just walk around and take pictures and then put the best ones in a portfolio, and which is completely true. And there's a lot of photographers and artists who who do that and create great landscape photography portfolios. Uh, and, but there's a second level that you can go to only create within an idea. And that's what I do in the landscapes. And I take that same idea and put it into the portraits mm. for the Aria collection. Well, and I, that's, I think that really um, is a universal um, idea that can apply to other art forms as well. That when you have an idea uh, to pursue it in a deep way, um, you can do little things to the side. You can take these explorations because they help you grow and help you see things that you haven't mm -hmm. seen before. But to focus on a certain intention, a certain idea, and to take it really deeply, um, even if, in your case, and, and with many art forms, the actual image that comes through is different, there's something that holds them all together. And that that, to me, is the most exciting. You know, that's what... That's what says who you are as a person and what you're, what you want to express and what you want to convey. Um, and I, I think maybe it would be this would be a good time to look at some of these images. So um, we are doing this both as video and audio, but we're going to attempt to um, uh, explain what you're seeing if, if you're listening to this. Um, as an audio podcast, and we would encourage you to to look at the video as well. And we'll put some of these up on our Facebook website as well, so uh, we can see or links to Jason's website, which is www.jasonmatias.com, and you can see these on your on your screen. They're they're very powerful, gorgeous images. So uh, the first one I brought up was Tree of Fire, and. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should describe it. So, um, yeah, as you you mentioned this one earlier when we were talking, as a very complex image, there's uh, lots of different textures uh, from nature. It was a taken of a Japanese maple in its full red, orange foliage, 
and it's very intense. So you see the um, the bright leaves kind of uh, going diagonally across the image, and you see um, the branches or the trunk forming this um, linear pattern within those. So they're the dark branches are standing out against the the orange and red, and then there's you know there's some surrounding green and other colors. And as you, you mentioned in talking about it, it's a very dense image. There's a lot going on. And it's the, the color is, is powerful. It's, it's basically, you know, this kind of red and green color, uh, color play. Well, what I, the, the reason that I had wanted to take a, a photo of a Japanese maple, uh, obviously they're, they're really pretty, especially when they're groomed correctly. So, so trees like this take decades to grow like this because there's arborists who come in and they cut them and they they tie tree pieces up so they grow in the right direction and, and they support them with, with wood and whatnot but i i've always thought that the the branches of a japanese maple the way they twist and they curve is like walking in a labyrinth mm. and um it if you haven't a, a labyrinth is it, it can be really simple a, a giant oval with a walking path that goes spherically into the middle and then out again. And that's a, it's a walking, it's a way to. Yeah, the, the branches, the way that the light comes through from behind really highlights, and the branches are in strong contrast to the leaves and it's, it's just and you can walk gorgeous calligraphy kind of, yeah. Yeah, so you, so you can walk them with your eyes, sort of like a visual labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's kind of like a meditation. So you can, if this were on your wall, like I have the next picture is is a big production piece. But um, if you put it on your wall and you're standing in front of it, you can trace all of these lines and they keep getting smaller and smaller as they branch out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing kind of a small image on my screen, but I, I can see the smaller branches as well so, uh, making that happen. Yeah, let's see the other one there where it's you see the scale of this print huge. So this was at Art Basel, and this, this piece is 84 inches. So seven feet by six feet almost. Mm. Yeah, huge impact. And I know, you know, I know that there's something about photography that does place us as the viewer there. I mean, we're just there. <laughs> we, we know this actually was there and you took the photo and it there's immediacy to it that's uh so strong it's not you know it's not a, an imaginary scene it is absolutely there and i know that was that's also if you could just go back that's also part of your series about um beautiful places that no longer exist Yes. which is another series where certain things that you photographed were later destroyed one way or another. And then you went back and took mm -hmm. those photos. Yeah, so this tree was destroyed in, in a winter storm in 2017 when a, a tree standing behind where you're viewing this from had fallen on top and wrecked it, mm -hmm. um, completely demolished it. So the after picture is, is in my TED talk. Um, so, it, I mean, this is a 90-year-old tree where generations, three generations of arborists have been working on cultivating this beauty. Oh. It was shipped from Japan, and now it's gone. Yeah, what a, what a loss. 
Okay, let's look at the next one there. Uh, so this top one we talked about a little bit is called Adrift. Wait, we're not seeing the image. I, I'm still seeing the tree. Oh, there we go. Okay, good. Okay. Cool. I wonder if there's a way to view this full screen. Uh, that's right. There we go. So this is uh, a drift, and this is this is this is my best example of comfortable isolation, and it's that that blue, um, the dock sitting alone in the water, and the horizon almost gone from uh, the area being filled with, with fog. And, um, I, and I already talked about at length, you know, the, the concept of isolation. So I, I guess I won't go too into that, but I, I saw this scene happening on, on, a, on the river, the Hood Canal, and I, I just couldn't ignore it. Yeah, I think the, the comfort feeling comes from that. The background is completely calm. And then we have this, you know, very um, uh, small within the picture plane, horizontal line of the of the floating dock, and just punctuated by a couple of verticals of the reflection and something on the dock, and it's it's very minimalist. And I think whenever we have a a really uh, pared down image, it, it is calm, and it um, we enter into it. Uh, in in the way that I think you're you're hoping to do, and that the horizontal it's very extreme horizontal it's much wider than it is tall, and that also contributes I think. I like the way you can describe describe work. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, let's see the next one. So this one is called Room for One in Their Dreams, and and I really love. This, the experience that I had there, compositionally, I really love the the swooping hammock on this on this hammock um, stand coming out of the water, and it creates this sort of smile in the picture. But then it's reflection, and the reef that it's built on both have a concave um, arch, so it has this sort of this smile, but also this frown at the same time. <laughs> And and then and you have the two very, boats sitting with it. It's very symmetrical. I mean, what we're seeing are these two poles supporting um, a thatched roof in the water with a hammock hanging between the poles. But the poles are pretty well centered in the picture. The reflection is centered. There's a boat on either side. And then there's this movement in the background of clouds. So it it's there's a lot of levels of uh, things going on at different levels in the picture. And black and white, right? Yeah, yes, it's in black and white. Um, yeah, beautiful. The the story with this one, um, aside from the comfortable isolation story, I was this was in Bali, and I was sitting on the beach. I went back to the same spot for three days, morning, sunrise, and sunset, uh, to to hopefully get you know the elements and the light, and and then the boats were there, and that was that was perfect too. But uh, a whole line of people with their beach chairs in front of this thing. And every once in a while, one of them would get, I guess, the courage or the motivation to come down and, and take a picture in the in the hammock or with the hammock. But I no see. one would ever stay there. No one would ever hang out in this one place that was made for someone to enjoy. And, That's interesting. And it, it felt like 
everybody pressured each other in a way that that said that they couldn't have this thing. They couldn't have not one person could come and take this um, this pleasure or this this experience because there wasn't enough room for everybody. Mm. And and I feel like that mirrors a lot of a lot of life. Like people don't want you to be successful, or they don't want to help you get successful because not everybody can make it. And um, and I experience it a lot. It also has that sense of solitary. You know, there's nobody in the hammock in the photo, but mm -hmm. you as a viewer, I think, can put yourself there. Oh, well, that's a good one. All right, let's see the next one. So this this piece is called Edge of Solace. And again, it's that uh, that comfortable isolation feeling. But what's important about this piece for me is this is where I stopped being a landscape photographer um, and started creating the scenes that were in my head. So, th so this is created from one water scene, one scene of a piece of a dock, actually, and then another set of clouds from somewhere else. Oh. And I put them together and spend a lot of time on the color because I get to choose the color when you start compositing uh, and creating this composition, this infinite horizon and, and this motion of the clouds in the water. Um, and, and I stopped, you know, stepping out of the traditional landscape photographer trope and stepping into what feels more like being an artist where I'm creating the, the spaces that I, that I want you to experience right because right. you know, their previous piece was in bali so i would have had to continue roaming the world until i saw something like that but this is something that i could go out and make and um and, and really have that feeling of being being out there uh, and being alone so there's this uh, so uh, we kind of skipped over this because it, it kind of gets long but um there's this idea that well it's not an, you you have in your, in your brain, a literal pool of energy that you can use to make decisions. And it's called ego depletion. The more you use, the more decisions you make, the worse your decision-making ability gets as the day wears on. And the only way to make that pool, to refill that pool is through relaxing your mind and, and meditating. That's why we sleep. But if I could create spaces where you could enter into your mind and, and have that relaxation, have that moment of escape, um, then maybe you could fill that pool a little bit. But the problem is that space, that meditative space, um, that empty space inside your head is filled with your demons. So every time you jump in there, you have to confront one of your beliefs. You have to confront something that keeps you from uh, really enjoying those spaces. So instead we reach for our phones and we find distractions and we find mindless things to do that don't let our mind, that don't, don't make us occupy our own space. And, uh, and I wanna create places where people can go and have that moment and be, and have a place to confront their demons um, inside their head where they can be comfortable and isolated. So th yeah. that's what this is. That's what, I'm, that's what I try to make with the landscapes. Yeah, and I can see it in that it has a very, um dreamlike feeling like otherworldly almost a place to go that isn't it, it it's it's something that you constructed and it has a almost surreal feeling to it and then below it i just i have an example of what the work looks like when it's finished yeah 
again, large scale. This is a long horizontal photograph um, with, a, is it a dock? Uh, is a, there's a form in the middle. I'm having a little trouble seeing it on my screen, but it's, it leads, it's, it's shows a perspective of leading toward the horizon. And oh yeah, it's, it's um, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you couldn't see the full. Yeah, so that's a dock on, in the middle. Yeah, that, and then it the it just sort of ends out in in space, really. And there's clouds and sea behind it, so mm -hmm. it it's a pathway. Yeah, what's really cool about the the physical pieces when when you see them is that this dock is so sharp, like the, it's the relief on it, the detail. So it looks like you could get a splinter on it, mm -hmm. um, in in print in um in his, as a production piece. So it's a, yeah, it's a panoramic photo. It's blue with a, with a warm contrast, which is something I play with a lot. So in a drift in the previous piece, the 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 space is iridescent blue with a really warm brown yes. red dock, and then in a in a edge of solace, the dock also contrasts the warmth or the coolness of the the ocean and sky. Yeah, it's a very powerful image. And then. Uh, and then this is the Aria collection. Try to zoom out. Right. Yeah, this is the one, um, Jason, you were describing earlier where you're you're posing a figure um, in a narrative way based on music. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to some extent setting up, I, I suppose some of these elements then are Photoshopped uh, in there later. Yeah, so I, I use Photoshop to edit all of my work. Um, the piece that we were talking about is called uh, Bell on Black Days, and I'll pull it up in a higher res right here. Okay. Yeah, that's the one I was just looking at with that um, that yellow uh, kind of hovering shape. Mm -hmm. So I painted that with um, with by using photographs of of gold leaf, and uh -huh. then. Um, and then adding it to the to the digital image, compositing, and then painting away the gold leaf. So it's like this thing that's exploding that yeah, you know, it's been a beautiful golden ball, but now it's a beautiful golden explosion. Um, right, and it's it's a very high contrast image. There's a dark black about two thirds of the right side, and about one third is white. The figure mm -hmm. is kind of off center at the bottom, bending over, and then this gold kind of orb above and then so there's the the fibonacci which is the repeating pattern of our thoughts oh, right. and on the fibonacci there is these uh abstractions that are that are light depending on if you see it in print you can you see i'm always working for a physical piece to be shown but each one that is placed on the abstraction or on the curve where these broken pieces are um these broken pieces are sort of a, the representation of self-perception versus the way other people perceive you. Hmm. So like, like these are, you know, they're beautiful, but we see ourselves as broken in some way. Yeah, there's something that they feel, I think everyone that I can see here, there is something a little bit um, disturbing. I mean, they're not they have a kind of an energy attention to the pose, to the setting, to the combination of elements that are in there. Um, and I think it brings in that duality that you're talking about, that kind of perfection and broken aspect that, of life. 
Very interesting. And this is also a good playlist, <laughs> if anyone's interested. The first piece is called Left Alone, which is a, a saxophone solo by Archie Shepp. The second one is Claire de Lune, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. Um, I'm going from left to right. The first piece is called Aria. So that that's an aria is a um, a solo by a opera singer. Um, and that's what the whole thing is is named after. So Left Alone, Claire de Lune, Midnight Dove is the, the fourth piece. And that one is a song by Sean James. Fell on Black Days is by Chris Cornell. So like, if you listen to this and want a good playlist, um, Porcelain Heart by Opeth, and then Brutal Hearts, who I can't remember that, who sung that. Core, I can't pronounce the name. And then um, Bridge of Sighs, also by Opeth, but also by a 1970s artist, uh, I can't remember his name. And then Love and Hate. So and then Love and Hate by Michael Kiwakana. Hmm. So each of yeah, these, they it, end up, they, they start as being designed. And, and then I go and find a, find a subject who, who fits the, the idea, the, the model. And then, um, and then we do the shoot. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you have a more, what else or is this, was that it? We're, we're getting a little close uh, to the, the podcast here. Yeah, it was just, the, the audio collection more? is is there's only nine so far, and it's taken me a few years to do these nine. Um, but there there is a tenth one designed, which I can pull up if you if you'd like to see it. Sure. Share screen. Uh, I think you'll find this interesting because this is how I this is how they start. So. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, we're looking at a sketchbook, I suppose, uh, with um, images, you know, trying to work out how to place the figure. Mm -hmm. Are there drawings? I wanted, so the image, this shows like all the elements that I want to include in the work. Um, this piece is, is going to be called Fury. And I, I've had this design for a while where it shows this duality between these two characters who they're going to be the same model. It's going to be two separate pieces of art that are, that could be collected together. And, but they'll also stand alone um, where one model in one piece of art is blindfolded and sort of leashed by that blindfold to another person in the other piece of art. And oh, the contrasting that. duality is, is blue and red. Um, and I want to use very textured, uh, Textiles. All of these pieces include textiles in some way. Um, but this song Fury is actually this idea really developed. Um, who sings Fury, babe? Fury? Yeah. Muse. It's by Muse. And I was one day I was having a conversation with Ali, who's who's off camera right here, uh, and listening to this song that were really called to me. Because just like the music that we talked about. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop sharing this one. Just like the music that we we talked about, or just like the principles of um, being fully immersed or having a sort of a step back, like the difference between tree of fire and a drift. You you can find that in other places too, like in music, like a very quiet piece of music versus something that's got so much sound that you're just overwhelmed by it. And that's where fury is. And I was thinking about the opposite of fury, which 
would be like calm or happiness or whatever. But that's not the only opposite. And when I was talking to Ali, I asked her, I was like, are you ever afraid of me? Because I, I kind of have this undercurrent of intensity that intimidates a lot of people, which is something I've, I've had to work away from with all that self-work we talk about. And, and she said, no, right. She, she, it doesn't scare her. I'm not scary to her anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> she says sometimes, uh, but the, but I told her like what I, and we were just talking and I was like, you know, if you were going to be afraid of anything, it wouldn't be my propensity towards this frustration, like kind of fury, but it would be my apathy, mm. which is something I have to fight all the time. It's just this apathy, this, this idea that it doesn't matter that I can give up or that, you know, what, what's the point of stuff. And um, especially running my own business, like it, it comes up on you pretty hard sometimes. So then I realized I was like, oh, fury and apathy, that's the duality I want to present in my next aria. So I have these designs drawn out. I have, I have like a half a dozen of them, but it's not an aria piece until I can put a piece of music to it, but also more importantly, put that feeling and put that, the idea of the art, the context of the art, once I have those things, then I can put it together and now I can make it. Yeah. So that's why there's only nine. I can go take pretty still working. <laughs> it's it's well, those kind of ongoing ideas just keep unfolding and it's it's um you can see, you know, all these different aspects of an idea and, and we're gonna have to end pretty soon and, and Jason your 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 audio and video are breaking up a little bit. Um oh. I wanted to say what you brought up about dualities is so interesting because it's a topic we talked about on the podcast. It's something I teach about. And the idea that dualities don't have to be these really obvious opposites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they're very interesting when you see what else comes up. And I, that was a, a really interesting example of that. So um, anyway, I think we're, we're close to the end of our time and um, we just want to thank you again for showing, uh, sharing so much about your work, your thoughts, these images. Um, so uh, thank you, Jason. It was really good thank to talk you. to you. This is a fun conversation. Thanks for letting me ramble on so much. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I talk a lot. It was good. Thank you so much. All right. That just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.